thank you for who you are, your word and you are completely and utterly inseparable. Thank you for your word that shines uh, a light on who you are and your character. As your word is proclaimed and explained this morning, help And also to um, have your power to embed it in our lives. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So, uh, our Bible reading this morning is from the prophet Micah, chapter 5. Uh, and as we hear this read this morning, remember this is God's holy and infallible word. Please pay very close attention. Micah, chapter 5. Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem, Eratha, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old and from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth and he will be our peace when the Assyrians invade our land and march through our fortresses we will raise against them seven shepherds even eight commanders who will rule the land of Assyria with the sword the land of Nimrod with drawn sword he will deliver us from the Assyrians when they invade our land and march across our borders the remnant of Jacob will be in the midst of many peoples like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which do not wait for anyone or depend on a man. The remnant of Jacob will be among the nations in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among the flocks of sheep, which mauls and mangles as it goes and no one can rescue. Your hand will be lifted up in triumph over your enemies and all your foes will be destroyed. In that day, declares the Lord, I will destroy your horses from among you and demolish your chariots. I will destroy the cities of your land and tear down all your strongholds. I will destroy your witchcraft and you will no longer cast spells. I will destroy your idols and your sacred stones from among you. You will no longer bow down to the work of your hands. I will uproot from among you your Asherah pools when I demolish your cities. I will take vengeance in anger and wrath on the nations that have not obeyed me. For the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you again. And in some ways, when I come to TGCC, it feels like coming home again. Even just pleasant surprises. So I didn't know that we'd be praying for Rowan and Bethany today. And they are people who are working in the same area as our missionaries in residence at Bible College last year. Phil and Carol, who were there for decades, working among the Fulani people, and just really encouraging to see what God is doing in parts of the world that you don't even hear on the news. Yet people are turning from darkness to light. And not only in hearing that, but to be here you know, with you all, it's special memories that come up in just being present with you here. And one of those memories for me comes back from when I was exploring Christianity. I was in my second or third year of university, 
and Victor, who's down the back, was leading a Friday night Bible study as part of the youth group. And this was some years before I realized that Asian youth groups go up until you're 30, and Aussie youth groups only go up until you're 18. Anyway, Victor shared this helpful illustration that has stuck with me since. He was talking about a common objection to Christianity. He said that some people believe that we cannot know what God is like. It's a bit like six blind men touching an elephant. One man feels its side and says that the elephant is like a wall. Another man feels its tusk and says the elephant is like a spear. The third feels the trunk and says it's like a snake. The fourth feels the knee and says that it's like a tree. The fifth feels the ear and says it feels like a fan. And the last man feels the tail and says the elephant is like a rope. Each man thinks that he knows what the elephant is like, and all the others are wrong. They all become loud and proud, and they start fighting one another. And the objection goes that Christianity and other religions are like this. It said that every religion is partly correct, but no one has seen God. So we can't really say what God is like. It's arrogant to say that only your religion is right. But Victor said that this objection doesn't work for Christianity. The objection only works if the elephant is silent. But the God of the Bible is not silent. He is a God who speaks. We can know him because he has made himself known. It's as if the elephant speaks and tells us what he is truly like. How about for your friends who are not Christians? What do they believe about God? Is he silent? Or do they believe that he doesn't exist because we've never seen him? Or do they believe that there are many gods and many spirits, including our ancestors? Brothers and sisters, this is one reason for us to get to know the minor prophets. At the Japanese church, in Crow's Nest Japanese Christian Church, we're preaching from each minor prophet once a month. And the minor prophets like Micah were sent by the Lord to proclaim a message. Now, minor doesn't mean that they were less important than the major prophets like Isaiah. It just means that these 12 minor prophets had less prophecy written down. And while the common themes in the prophets is direct speech from the Lord God, it hits you so much more often than the narratives where God's still present, but often speaking less directly. And in these minor prophets, we have evidence and assurance that God is not silent. The God of the Bible speaks. So we really can know what he is like. So we're not arrogant in saying who he is like and what he has done. We have good reasons to share the good news. And many Christians know one part of Micah's prophecy. We heard this today in verse 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be a ruler over Israel whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. This quote appears in the New Testament Gospels, in Matthew chapter 2, 
The cruel King Herod is told by the Magi that the King of the Jews has been born. The chief priests and the teachers of the law quote Micah's prophecy about this king being born in Bethlehem. And after Jesus' family escapes, we find out why King Herod was known for being cruel when he kills every single boy who was two years old or under in Bethlehem. Now, as grim as that is, here we have evidence and assurance that God is not silent. God is powerful, and He has been active in our human history. Even God's enemies, like Herod, recognize this. But this is only one small part of Micah's prophecy. What else does God want us to hear today from Micah the prophet? He wants us to know what He is like. He is our shepherd, the one who rules the world, verses 1 to 6. He is our saviour, the one who rescues his people, verses 7 to 9. And he is supreme, the one who removes every evil power. So let's begin with the truth that God is our shepherd, the one who rules the world. How did our Bible or reading begin in Micah 5.1? Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. Now, to understand this passage, we need to go back to the beginning of the book. It's a good place to start. The book of Micah begins by telling us when he declared God's message and to who. And so verse 1 says, the word of the Lord the word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth during the reigns of Yotam, Ahaz and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, the vision he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. So Micah spoke to Samaria and Jerusalem, the capitals of the north and south. His message is coming from a time when the north is under attack and has been sent into exile. The southern kingdom is also under attack. But what about his message from the Lord God? It was about the idolatry and social injustice of his day. All her idols will be broken to pieces. The idolatry. They covet fields and seize them, and houses and take them. They defraud people of their homes. They rob them of their inheritance. This is the social, the social injustice that's happening among God's own people in Israel. And this explains why our Bible reading began with a siege against Israel. War came to the northern and the southern kingdoms because Israel had been unfaithful to their God. Let's pause for a moment because some of you might be wondering, how can God be involved in a war? Now, in some way, God can be involved in war, but without doing evil himself. We can especially say this with confidence for Israel in the Old Testament. We know that the Lord God did raise up armies to punish his unfaithful people. It just shows us how terrible the problem was. That the only way that Israel might listen to God was when an army attacked them. They had to reach such a low point of humiliation and shame 
to open their eyes. Even for their own king to be hit with his own rod or scepter, as verse 1 says. Still, God does not delight in the humiliation of his people. Even when he disciplines his people, there is unexpected and amazing grace. And so we hear in verses 2 to 6 what will happen after God humbles his people. From Bethlehem, a small town of Judah, a ruler will come, according to verse 2. First, Israel will be handed over to their enemies, as verse 3 says, but not forever. They will live securely when God provides a great king. A shepherd with the Lord's strength and majesty, as verse 4 promises. In verse 5, God promises us that this shepherd king will be our peace. And brothers and sisters, we know the shepherd king, don't we? We know Jesus. He is the good shepherd, God's son, and God's promised king. Jesus, who is bringing a kingdom where there is no war, no pain, no more sin. Jesus is the ruler, the king, and the shepherd who is worth waiting for. However, in Micah's time, they were still waiting for God's perfect timing. And so, verses 5 and 6 describe the greatest fear that Israel knew in that time. The greatest danger to Israel then was the nation and superpower, Assyria. And in a peaceful country like Australia, it's a bit hard to imagine what this is like. But can you try and imagine what it would have been like? Can you imagine the fear of Russia if you were living in Ukraine right now? The uncertainty about your home, your family, and even your life. This is the kind of fear that Israel had in the days when Assyria ruled the world. In 2 Kings 18 to 19, we're told that Assyria destroyed the northern kingdom. And then they took about 11 tons of silver and one ton of gold from Judah. And they would have destroyed Judah as well. The only thing that saved them was a prayer. A prayer that King Hezekiah made to the Lord. A prayer which destroyed an army of 185,000 men in one night. Now friends, today we're asking the question, what is God like? Micah's message, Micah's message says that God is the shepherd who rules the world. Through Micah, the Lord is revealed as the king of every single thing. God's people needed to hear this back in Micah's time because there were serious consequences for the way that they were living. Idolatry and social injustice are noticed by the king who rules the world. They could not sin against God and against their neighbor forever. It was a time for them to turn back to God and to trust him as their ruler. And we, need, we still need to hear this today in our own time, don't we? And think about what Prayer for the World's summary says of Christianity in Australia. 70% of the population say that they are Christian. 
but only 10% regularly attend church. More people prefer a personal spirituality based on individual preferences and with no accountability. The greatest battle the church faces may be debating with a secular public over issues of human origin, human sexuality, and the existence of God. Brothers and sisters, these are the temptations that we face in Australia. The temptation to drift from attending church. The risk of no one lovingly correcting us when we disobey or drift from God. And the fear of being unpopular for our views about being made in God's image, about using God's good gift of sex according to his rules, and even believing that there is a God who rules the world with truth and grace. As we sit together under God's word, out of love I have to ask, how are we going with this? If, our, if we asked our friends, would they say that we are followers of Jesus? What would they say based on our words and on our actions? Do we follow Jesus or do we just follow our own lifestyle? Now, if you are following Jesus, please hear the assurance that it is worth it. God is our good shepherd and he will bring us into his perfect kingdom. Please keep reminding yourself of this wondrous truth. But if you are drifting from him, please remember who rules the world. In driving terms, the Lord should be the one in the driver's seat. We are the passengers not our Lord Jesus Christ. This brings us to our second point. Jesus is our Lord. It is also our Saviour. This is the point of verses 7 to 9. He is the one who rescues his people. Even though his people go through many difficulties, God is determined to bless them. Can you see this blessing in verse 7? The remnant of Jacob will be in the midst of many peoples, like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which do not wait for anyone or depend on man. Now, maybe this blessing is clearer to those who have lived in dry parts of the world. In Melbourne, as you know, there's very often light rain. And in Sydney, I have to explain that the saying four seasons in a day is true, that they're not joking about it. But in Israel... I'm told that it only rains in certain times of the year. Between June and September, there's almost never any rain. And it's impossible for humanity to control this weather pattern. As verse 7 says, the dew and showers do not wait for anyone or depend on man. They come from the Lord. This was also true for God's people in the time of Micah and after that. And not just for the weather. It was also true for their lives when they were ruled by another country. Let's remember from verse 3 that they were handed over to their enemies. For 70 years, God's people were ruled by the Babylonians, then the Medes and Persians, then the Greeks, then the Romans. Like trying to bring rain, it was impossible for them to overpower these nations. Only God could bring the salvation that they needed for the surviving remnant of Israel. 
And all this helps us to understand the rather violent language of verses 8 and 9. The remnant of Jacob will be among the nations, in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among flocks of sheep, which mauls and mangles as it goes, and no one can rescue. Your hand will be lifted up in triumph over your enemies, and all your foes will be destroyed. God's people needed victory over their enemies and salvation from them. Only with God's help could they become a lion among the nations. Without this help, they were powerless to destroy their enemies. Now, like our first point, we might feel uncomfortable about these violent words. How can God talk about mauling and mangling Israel's enemies? Is the God of the Old Testament different to the New Testament God of love? No, no, no. We can't say that there are two gods, one of judgment and another of love. God has always been a mighty warrior and a loving saviour. And you might be thinking, how can that be? We see how this is true in other parts of Micah's message. In chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, we see that God will not support Israel when they do evil. Listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, should you not embrace justice, you who hate good and love evil? At that time, God will hide his face from them because of the evil they have done. Do you see how the Lord fights for what is righteous and never for what is evil? Likewise, in chapter 4, we see God's heart for the nations and for peace. Let us hear what God says in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we, so that we may walk in his paths. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Do you see the Lord's love for the world and for peace? Many in our world are longing for love and for peace. And here we have it. God is offering that. Now, in the New Testament, there is a difference. But it's not a difference in God's character. Instead, it's a difference in who our greatest enemy is. In our enemy, the devil is spiritual and stronger than any foreign superpower like Assyria. The devil also stands behind our sinful choices as individuals and as groups. As the Apostle Paul says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And Jesus even shared in our humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Friends, 
We've all experienced this spiritual battle in some way, haven't we? For some of us, we were saved from this spiritual darkness when we became Christians. A missionary in Kyoto, Patrick McGilligot, found this in Mr. O's testimony. Mr. O was a self-made man, a gifted musician, someone who'd formed his own dance band where he, had his, where he led with his saxophone and his clarinet. He had no time for religion in general and no interest in particular in his Christian wife's faith. But then, in his mid-50s, Mr. O experienced a battle that he couldn't win, a battle with cancer. For the first time in his life, he revealed his weakness to others and his fear of deep spiritual darkness. His family had been part of a Buddhist temple for over 200 years. But when he heard the gospel, he finally found salvation and victory in Jesus. Even though he died at 57, he still had salvation and victory in Jesus. In the hospital and outside the hospital, he loved the song, Amazing Grace. And he wanted others to know about his saviour by insisting on having a Christian funeral. It was the first one in the whole family and over 300 friends and, fam- and neighbours attended. But for other brothers and sisters, they're already Christians, but they still feel defeated by sin. Even though they're Christians, they feel overpowered or addicted to sin. Maybe it's the anger or drinking that we cannot control, or perhaps the lying and putting others down with our harsh words, or perhaps it's lustful thoughts and pornography. Brothers and sisters, Even when we fail, Jesus is still our saviour. When we die, Jesus will give us complete victory over the devil and sin. And even before dying, Jesus can and does help us to make progress. We don't need to struggle against the darkness alone. God loves us and has given us his Holy Spirit and his holy word to help us. He has made us children of the light, and he has provided a lamp for our feet. He's also given us his holy people, the church, to help us. We should not and do not need to struggle alone. Change and progress and growth rarely happen overnight, but they do happen when we continue to struggle and to walk in God's ways. And brothers and sisters, you might be thinking, is it really worth fighting against the darkness year in and year out? Our third point shows us why it is absolutely worth it, standing firm in God's strength. God is our shepherd, God is our saviour, and he is also supreme. He is the one who will remove every evil power. We hear this promise of God loudly and clearly in verses 10 to 15 of Micah 5. And what, does, what does the Lord God want us to know for certain as he speaks? In that day, declares the Lord, 
I will destroy your horses from among you and demolish your chariots. I will destroy the cities of your land and tear down all your strongholds. I will destroy your witchcraft and you will no longer cast spells. I will destroy your idols and your sacred stones from among you. You will no longer bow down to the work of your hands. I will uproot from among you your Asherah poles when I demolish your cities. I will take vengeance in anger and wrath on the nations that have not obeyed me. The Lord wants us to know that he will destroy what seems powerful to humanity, military powers and spiritual powers especially. Now in Micah's time, the nation said that these things were powerful, these were the keys to success. Human strength and human spirituality were the way to find, to find security and happiness. And sadly, even God's own people kept listening to the nations of the world instead of to their God. Imagine being in Micah's time and what people thought was powerful then. Horses and chariots were powerful tools in an army. Cities and strongholds could take years to destroy by siege. Now, having a military wasn't always wrong, but trusting too much in it was. Witchcraft was used by many to be sure that they had spiritual protection. Idols were expensive and were seen as powerful against spirits and disasters. But in the long term, Witchcraft and idolatry did not lead to happiness, but slavery. And this kind of spiritual security was always wrong and always offensive to the Lord. In Australia today, I'd say most people are more concerned with pleasure than protection. But can you see how people devote their lives to following pleasures? Cars, for example, are very useful for travel. And luxury cars often impress people around us. Mortgages on properties often take decades to repay. And cars and mortgages are not always wrong, but trusting too much in them is. Swearing and dirty jokes are often used at school or in the workplace so that we can fit in with our friends. And abortion is expensive and it's encouraged by men and women to protect careers. But in the long term, foul language and abortion do not lead to happiness, but to evil. And the Lord does not want us to find security and happiness in these evil ways. So where then are we meant to find security and true happiness? Micah tells us with the final words of his book in chapter 7 verses 18 to 20. Who is a God like you, who pardons sins and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be faithful to Jacob and show love to Abraham as you pledged on oath to our ancestors in days long ago.
Where do we find security and happiness? We find them in God. The God who is good enough and strong enough to keep all of his promises. He is loving and faithful, no matter what we have done. He is compassionate, and he can throw our sins into the bottom of the sea. He delights to show mercy and does not want to stay angry forever. Can any human strength or human spirituality make this offer and keep it? And Micah spoke all of this before Jesus came. Today, now, we have even greater reasons to trust God. Can any human compare with Jesus and his power to bring good and bring an end to sin? Only Jesus is God's king, and only he can bring the kingdom of God. Only Jesus was innocent enough to die on the cross for us. Now, friends, if God is supreme, what does that mean for this week? What difference does what we're hearing now on Sunday morning mean for Monday morning? Because I think that knowing God and what he is really like really does help us during our week. It especially helps us through times of insecurity and unhappiness. I think of Yukiko Nakajima, a, mission, a friend of the missionary Patrick McGilligot. The McGilligot family had moved to Rito, a country, a country town in Shiga, sorry, Shiga Prefecture. The family only met Yukiko briefly before she moved to another town. But she had done amazing work with the children in Rito. Yukiko loved the children that she taught. She played with them, wrote to them, encouraged them, prayed constantly for them, and led many children to Christ. With someone so gifted, the McGilligots were worried that the children would leave. But she had taught them to love Jesus even more than her, and so they stayed with enthusiasm. Yukiko was a happy and secure Christian, despite many trials in her life. When she became a Christian as a teenager, her parents burned her Bible. They also forbid her from going to church, and they eventually disowned her. On top of that, she died in her early 30s from a blood disease. But even in hospital, she led other people to Christ. At her funeral, her mother became a Christian, and her father wept over how he had treated her. Yukiko was a truly happy and secure Christian, despite many trials in her life. Now for us today, maybe we don't have her gifts with children, and maybe we haven't suffered for Jesus like she did, but we can be truly happy and secure in Christ, despite the trials that we face. Think about the pandemic. The people of the world can only hope for it to end. And for God's people, for us, we also long for it to end. But we also trust and hope that our supreme God will somehow use it for good. Perhaps people who were too busy or too proud for God will finally listen to him. For Christians, he has reminded us 
that we need God's kingdom to come. We don't perfectly belong here. We belong in God's perfect kingdom, which is coming. We know this because God is in control of everything, including the pandemic. Our circumstances can make us feel depressed, but we have hope in a great God. Brothers and sisters, we have hope in a great God. What is our God like? He is our shepherd, he is our saviour, and he is the supreme one. If anyone asks us what we believe in, what can we say about what our God is like? He is the one who rules the world. He is the one who rescues his people. And he is supreme, the one who removes every evil power. We can trust these words because God himself has spoken to us. He has revealed himself to us and his good plans for us. We will face times of insecurity and unhappiness, but we can face those trials standing firm in Christ because he is our shepherd, our saviour, and he is supreme. So brothers and sisters, let's pray now to our great God as we go into this week. Our Lord and our God, you know everything that we have been through. You know everything that is going on in our lives right now. You care for us. You love us. Our shepherd, lead us in your ways and help us to follow you always. Our saviour, strengthen us in our weakness and help us to find victory in you. Our supreme God, show us your power and help us to face our trials with you. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thanks, Darren, for reminding us what God's like and, um, yeah, reminding us that we can know that through by looking at Jesus. Um, in response, let's stand and sing our closing songs. Um,